Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I'm your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today is someone who comes to us by way of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is one Keith Fitzgerald. Keith is the Vice President of Technology for Honeygrow, a nutritious and fast casual restaurant which has several locations on the East Coast. He is also a musician and songwriter in his own right. Keith is inspired creatively by all things Honeygrow, as well as being a triathlete. Keith is an iconoclast, a man who will wait patiently until the series finale of a television show before deciding to indulge himself, with Game of Thrones being one such example. That said, he recently told me he was captivated by the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, a show about the nuclear accident at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant on April 26th, 1986. We like to ask our guests for fun if they have any pet peeves, and uh, Keith's is quite appropriate given his passion for cycling. And I quote, motorists that don't know how to work with cyclists and cyclists that don't know how to work with motorists. Keith has chosen to discuss the War on Drugs' 2014 offering, Lost in the Dream, which was the band's last independent lease on the label Secretly Canadian. The recording process began in the summer of 2012 and included studio stops at Uniform Recording in Philadelphia, Echo Mountain Recording in Asheville, North Carolina, the Fidelatorium in Kernersville, North Carolina, Rare Book Room in Brooklyn, New York, Minor Street Recordings back in Philadelphia, Water Music in Hoboken, New Jersey, Public Hi-Fi in Austin, Texas, as well as the University of Arts in Philadelphia, PA. Quite a list indeed. Uh, mixing duties were split by Jeff Ziegler and Nicholas Vernhess. They uh, and it was also arranged by Adam Granducio. Notable guest performers on this record include Dave Hartley of Pepper's Ghost and Nightlands, Mike Sneeringer of Strand of Oaks and the Loved Ones, as well as Jeff Ziegler from Arc and Round. The record was mastered by Greg Calby at Sterling Sound in New York City. Keith is someone who I have known since the late 1990s. One could say the salad days of yore, long before Google became both a search engine and a verb. He brings a warm, infectious smile to this life and is always a treat to be in his company. Keith, thank you for joining us today on Cover to Cover. Thanks for having me. That was uh, quite the intro. You can just shut it down now if I feel good. <laughs> All right. Why don't we get settled into our conversation? What made you choose this particular record from the war on drugs uh, that's a great question i um i thought a lot about trying to pick a record maybe that was a classic record um like a running down the dream a uh even a, a tool lateralis a fleetwood mac um you know an obscure beatles record like help which is actually kind of a pretty downer record when you listen to the record listen to the lyrics but i tried to pick a record that i thought uh, was a bit more modern um you know, Warren Juggs has had a lot of success. They did win a Grammy for Best Rock Album, which was the next album that they put out on uh, Atlantic, I believe. And a record that meant a lot to me in 2014, living and committing to living in Philadelphia, because there was just like so much exciting things going on at the time in Philadelphia with music. Um, around this band, there's so many exciting bands that have come out of Philadelphia. Kurt Vile, notably, who played on the first record and was part of War on Drugs. 
Um, also, of course, we've got Dr. Dog, we've got Strand of Oaks, like you mentioned. Um, who else do we have in Philadelphia? Um, whew, lots of them. Uh, this band, Manic and Pussy, just came out with a really awesome record out of Philly. It's just a really vibrant music scene. We've got so many music venues. I feel really lucky uh, to get to live here. It's a cool place for, for musicians, for sure. Most definitely. Can you tell us who the uh, lead vocalist or if there is a group of vocalists on this record? Sure. So the, the lead vocalist is, is Adam, and you pronounce his name correctly, although I'm going to murder it. Uh, Grand, uh, Grandusale? Grandusale? Yeah. I, I, I murdered it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not totally sure. He's, he's just the, uh, the war on drugs guy. Um, but uh, he, he is the lead player, and then uh, he talks a lot about this record on the, the tour before, which there was the album before was called Slave Ambient, and the, the, it really became a band. Uh, war on drugs it kind of had some people in and out but it really kind of solidified the band but he makes the records um with different musicians but like he controls the recording process and it's not like always the band on the record or at least on this record but um they worked really hard to make it sound like their band at this point but he he's the lead the, the single lead vocalist you know it's it, it's funny his vocals there's there's a sort of a sneering quality to them that reminds me of bob dylan era's blood on the tracks and in particular uh and a little with a little sprinkles of don henley in there and and that was uh bob dylan's pledging my time there's there's just that that angst that really just you know in a lot of ways helped me resonate with this music yeah he, they uh adam i know for sure is a huge bob dylan fan and uh so is so is kurt um kurt file um it's interesting that you mentioned don henley i never thought of that but that's a very great like line there, but not like Don Henley in the way that you, we probably think about Don Henley in like the Americana way, or even like a Bob Seger kind mm-hmm. of a thing where mm-hmm. it's like at any given time, if you turn on a radio in America, there's probably somewhere there's a Bob Seger song playing, right? Sure. Um, right. It's got sure. that heartland vibe. Yeah. It reminds me of a recent trip that I took to the Midwest. Uh, uh, I was driving through Indiana and uh, my companion said, I wonder if John Cougar Mellencamp happens to be on the radio. And sure enough, we were in a, you know, driving through several small towns in Indiana, flipping through the FM radio dial and lo and behold, you know, somewhere in the, uh, you know, 95, 96 range, they yeah. were, pl- they were, they were blasting cherry bomb. You know, it's just, that there are certain artists, you know, depending on where you are geographically speaking, that you know that have just become a part of the landscape. Yeah, and you know, John Mellencamp. I got a I got a soft spot in my heart for John Mellencamp because my mom listened to John Mellencamp, so I can't I can't uh, can't be mad at John Mellencamp. Sure, sure. Let's see. Uh, can you describe for us where you were when you first heard "Lost in the Dream"? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. So uh, Philadelphia, as Philadelphia goes, everybody knows everybody in some weird way. We're definitely, although we have a big uh, influx of people moving to Philadelphia, which has been exciting, but generally most people are from Philly, which maybe if you compare it to like LA or New York, you've got a lot of folks that are moving to those cities all the time. So there's always some kind of connection. So anyway, I was on a work trip uh, with someone that I work with who's the brother of the keyboard player. And he had played for me uh, Red Eyes, which was the lead single on the album, and to kind of talked to me about everything that they were going through trying to get this record out. Uh, the band was a little worried about Adam at the time because he was kind of stressed out and distant trying to get this thing done. And the sonic landscapes are a really good word for a lot of their records. They're pretty deep uh, sonically. It's not, it's kind of based in that, like, I probably started on acoustic guitar, but then just kind of blew up, like, from there. But they got the record done, and I was like, oh, this song's great. I really like this record, and it was like super top secret. And then I think 
a week later they were on like Letterman or Fallon playing the song or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, like I used to see this band on their first record with Kurt uh, Vile at Johnny Brenda's, which is one of my favorite venues in Philly. This really nice kind of bar restaurant uh, venue that has amazing sound, super great addition to Philadelphia. And I'm just thinking this was a really cool local band and I was lucky to see them. And now they're, now they're a Grammy award winning uh, artist. That's that's amazing. There was I remember when they came through DC, and a friend of mine was in, encouraging me to go to this. You know, it, what looked like just an excellent Sunday night bill at a place called Rock and Roll Hotel, and you know, boy, did I miss the bus on on War on Drugs that night. She just raved at just how wonderful of an act they were, and you know, perhaps it was part of the same timing, so to speak, that they were playing at Johnny Brenda's. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, I you know. Just as a, as, as a listener now of the War on Drugs, I certainly feel like I, I missed the bus. Yeah, on the um, on the first so the first song on this album, um, which was the second single called "Under Pressure." I mean, it's a it clocks in at eight minutes, and the last two minutes are like a straight instrumental outro. And some of their previous albums, or their previous albums up to this one, featured about like one third of the record was was purely instrumental. So. They were always kind of a landscape band. I love that. I mean, I mean, we we grew up with jam bands and stuff, and I've seen them all a whole bunch. They, they fit into that genre. I would never call War on Drugs a jam band, but I like bands that really stretch a song and it just keeps going and going and going and feels awesome, and it like kind of goes everywhere and nowhere and back again. And, and they really do that. So to see them play like a, a ten minute piece that just builds and builds and builds into like some kind of crescendo and back down again. It's awesome, you know, like to put out a second single at eight minutes on the radio. It's like, who does that anymore in 2014? But it was it was super cool, and it's it's a great definitely. It's a it's a bold move. Some, you know, some adge- some adjectives that you know that that I was thinking about when I was listening to this record. It's it is extremely warm. It, you know, I I you know I absolutely take your point about you know just kind of like an ethereal landscape, and you know, one thing that just for some reason I just kept feeling like this shimmer off of an ocean breeze. That that was sort of the 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 vibe that I was getting, you know, throughout the course of the entire record, everything was just really, you, you could tell that there's, you know, they really took their time sequencing the entire record. It's just, it's just so, so solid and consistent. Yeah. It sounds very present, but kind of also distant too. Uh, even the lyrics kind of point to a, a, a place that you are, you were, you're going to, but you're not really sure where it is and why you're there or what's going on. And in a way that kind of connects like just, indirectly at least with me i was surprised when i when i did the research on this record about like the recording process because i don't stalk the recording process you know as much as certain bands sometimes um it's how many different studios and different players and different hands that kind of were involved in this thing and then when you listen to it it just sounds like it just happened yeah. in like a weekend yeah you know For, yeah awesome. just yeah everybody getting together in the same room and you know with all with all the producers they worked with it was just it's seems to be nothing short of incredible that you know they're there is that consistency and everything just being on the same, everybody being on the same wavelength, you know, through and through. It's very, it's just a very impressive record. And then it's funny. So uh, some of the bands that you'd mentioned on the intro too, there, it's just like, these are all figures in Philadelphia music. Um, you know, uh, Pepper's Ghost was a small little band I used to see in media where I lived and they played the same venues that uh, like my college band, if you remember, uh, the yeah. people I played with in college would play. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're like the big band at the, at the littlest place in the media now. Uh, and actually, Robbie, the keyboard player, also played <laughs> oh, yeah. Pepper's Ghost. Um, and it's, it's, so this weird, like, 
world of these uh, these band members. They were just trying to create something and just trying to, to do it, you know. And then they they split, and then they got into other bands, and then eventually that that kind of actually ended up building the whole scene here. Was like you know people just everyday Absolutely. people sticking it out, you know. Definitely, it's great to see. So we, you know, we've we've touched on you know a little bit about uh, where this album fits in the overall canon of the War on Drugs. Is is this entire body of work? Do you think vastly different from their previous work, or is it a continuum of a sound that they had built upon from previous efforts? I, I always liked the band because I always felt like they were trying to make records. I love records. I listen to a I listen to a record. I like to sit down and, and enjoy a record. It's a different listening experience. It's not for everybody. I understand. I mean, I listen mm-hmm. to singles too. Everybody does. Um, but I really like bands that commit to the the concept of of a full length album. Um, I felt felt like they always kind of were doing that. I think this record, what was different was like they were trying to make it. You know, you could hear in here like I, I obviously can't speak for the artist. It's just what I hear. But I feel like I hear someone who is really in the minutia of the record. I mean, you hear, if you really listen, it's very deep. There's like these little things that happen, these little sounds, little guitar part. And if you really want to nerd out with a good pair of headphones, you'll just find little bits that are meaningful in the song. But maybe you might skip it if you've got the windows down in your car and you're just you know driving on the highway. But um, And it sounds good there too. But they they really committed to making a record and they wanted this to be a big record. They wanted this to be like a, uh, a Jimmy Fallon big record, which is which is actually a great song by another Philadelphia band uh, called Japanese Breakfast, <laughs> called Jimmy Fallon Big. It's really funny. Uh, but um, but yeah, they, you know, they wanted to make it and I, I respect and admire that. I think when I was really young and listened to bands, it was like making it mm-hmm. wasn't cool, mm-hmm. you know? It was like you're selling out. But like, but, now, but you get older, you realize like, no, they want to make music that means something and reaches a lot of people. And that's the music that means the most. And I think they really got after it. And then they followed it up, you know, with the, so this is the record before the record, because the next record, a deeper understanding is their major label debut that got the, that got the Grammy, but that record never would have happened if they didn't really make this record and just find a way to get in who the heck knows what's happening to studio time to producers and, pretty famous story about adam scrapping one of the songs like that they had worked on for months and doing it all over again to, to really make it the way that they felt like it needed to be like they they had a they had a plan somehow to get to wherever they were going um nice and i always nice. appreciate that i feel like that's a good segue into another question that i've got here on my little cheat sheet and that is you know keith what are your favorite tracks on this album and can you describe you know why they they resonate with you the way that they do um, well, if, uh, under pressure, the leadoff track to me is 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 killer. My favorite time to listen to a record is on a long drive. I, I'm clearly not the first person to uh, to think this way, <laughs> but you know, um, under pressure to me, just the way it comes in is almost like you know, I got out of my neighborhood, I hit the on ramp, and now I'm on the turnpike, and I'm driving to some coal mining town in Scranton, and it got two hours ahead of me, um, and I. I got time to kind of like sink in and it, it kind of just kicks it off strong. And it's an eight minute song. I mean, it goes and goes and goes, I'm sorry, nine minutes. It goes for a real long time, but it never, like I said, it just kind of, it keeps you, it keeps you there. It keeps you with it. Um, and it's weird. They're kind of like this band that was almost inspired by Kraftwerk as much as they were inspired by the Heartbreakers, yeah. which I can appreciate because I love both those bands. <laughs> um, so I love that record. I love that song. Um, I love uh, an ocean in between the waves. That was the song that Adam, apparently had tried and tried and tried with different musicians, the band, different members of the band, all this stuff as himself. 
and they had a version that they felt that they were good with. And then two weeks before the record was supposed to be like done, done. He was like, we're doing it all over. And the band was like, I can't deal with this anymore. You know, I've, I've, I've had it like you, you go do your thing. And he ended up making a, a version that was closer to the original demo that I guess was just in his head. And it's a great song. I don't know what the other versions sounded like, but I think what's interesting with that re- a song in particular, again, the idea of making a record is that, you know, under pressure, red eyes, uh, for sure. I mean, like lost in a dream and in reverse at the, at the tail end of the record are, are hit songs that they, they've closed shows within reverse, I believe. But, you know, in Ocean in Between the Waves, it's, it's like not like, it wasn't like a single thing, but he had that level of dedication to be like, no, 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 this, you know, for this song, like, you know, the, yeah. the second to last song before you flip the record over, right? Like had to be a certain way. And it just, it just didn't feel exactly right. And he wanted that level of quality. That can drive a person crazy, you know, it can like, like when it's like, it's never mm-hmm. done kind of, mm-hmm. you get lost in that cycle. Um, but you know, I, I feel like it came out the right way and, and it's, it's a great song. So I love that one uh, a lot, you know, just for, just for stick, yeah, sticking from, with you it. Know, it reminded me of, you know, uh, something that Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits, you know, it, it seems like that could have potentially, you know, somehow informed that particular song. And lyrically speaking, there was a sense of, you know, it seems like constantly trying to figure out this push and pull of what's, what's real and what is a complete fallacy and you know whatever might have been happening in that universe yeah and um it's funny i actually thought about doing that really? <laughs> record <laughs> the, like the, yeah i was like what, what would be like a ridiculous like record it's, that record's awesome and and what i wanted to talk about with that record i thought is the sound of oh shit what the hell is like the big dire straits like you know what i mean like money for nothing like how how they got that guitar tone was was really wild it was like the, the microphone was actually it, it bent and was pointed straight down at the ground, and there was something the wah was accidentally on like half cocked, and Mark Knopfler played that riff, and they were all like, "I don't just just play it, just don't ask questions, just do it," <laughs> and like and they had no idea like well, it was it was a weird blend of like not really miking the amp directly and it's like, oh. I, I got another bite for you on a cool little music tidbit on this. And I'm not like a, ta- I like tape ops. Like I'll read tape ops a bit. It's sort of a really great article with uh, Jeff Tweedy and some of their recording process. Sorry. And sorry if I'm going off tangent here, but um, they, they uh, when Genesis was recording, Oh no, it was, uh, it was Phil Collins like record after Peter Gabriel had left, whatever that Genesis record was. And it was, um, I don't know. It was one of their, like the, the super famous Genesis record. I'm sure it was in, American psychopath. Anyway, they accidentally left the the mic on in the room, like like the, the, the mic you use to communicate to the control room, and they were playing drums, and then somehow like the reverb came on, and what it was with this like this huge reverb, but then it was like super gated, and so the drum sounds like had this big splashy reverb, but then it like cut off right away, and they're like that sounds amazing, like do that, and then if you go back and listen to '80s records, that sound is like the '80s drum sound. But it was complete accident that happened on that record that became like the Genesis drum sound. That was because of that, and that's how they that's how they found it. It was like a weird blend of reverb and like not even miking the drums and not even a mic that you would normally use. It was a complete accident, but it huh. became a whole genre of drum what? sounds. I'll, I'll look up I'll look up the source for that. You can that's include awesome. it, but I, there is a that's story awesome. out there somewhere about that. I- that was that was, a, that was a wonderful tangent. I'm I'm not, anyway. I'm not gonna lie. That was excellent. So, you know, so we we really highlighted an ocean in between the waves, and you know, maybe we can extrapolate a little bit on this. Is you know, how does that particular song inspire you, or continue to inspire you, since it came out in 2014? 
Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, the drums in the opener are killer. You've got this big beat, and then the, the kind of like this staccatoed or tremolo effect on the keyboard, I guess. It's got a real thick bass line. It's very driving. Um, and then it's like kind of relaxed, like a, like a nice pair of jeans or something. I don't know. Like it, I think I like the story behind the song as much as the song, too. Um, I think all their records just – it's like I don't – I don't like them as much as songs, as much as I like them as records, all the war on drugs records, because they're so like landscape. I mean, I hate to use the term landscape. It's so like kind of what everyone says in their reviews of, of their music, but it's just kind of there. You can put it on anywhere. Anybody will like it. Like, you know, it'll be chilling on my deck and I'll put on a war on drugs record. It just kind of chills in the background. And then all of a sudden someone will be like, what record is this? You know? And I, I love that about music. I love, when um, it's a record that everybody likes. I remember playing a Bell and Sebastian record, uh, Art of the Life Pursuit, I think it was, for my in-laws. And it, it sounded to them like records from the 70s, and they just loved it. They had no idea. So when music kind of gets to that level where it just kind of, it kind of can sit back a bit, and then and then you'll kind of just like dig the vibe, you know. And I know Adam talked about in different interviews about how like people want to hear like tones in a beat kind of more these days than like kind of pure lyrics, like maybe like a, I remember Bob Dylan, people mm-hmm. get lost in the lyrics about what does it mean, you know? And I'm, I'm sure their, their songs have maybe meaning to Adam, but to me, they just kind of mean like like a, a time and a place or, or just like they, they kind of set the stage of whatever I'm doing mm-hmm. at the time, whether it's barbecuing and cleaning the house. Um, and I, I just always like that about their about their records. And this, this song's a good example of that. It's, a, it's definitely a catchy one. When this song comes in, I feel like people kind of look around and like, what is this band? It's like the fourth yeah, song. Yeah, the things just really just... Catch fire, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yep. So, la- last but not least, I like to ask you know this question of all of our guests, and uh, the question goes like this: We live in a universe now where information and music can easily be quickly accessed in the palm of our hand or with a click of just a few buttons. Even in this twenty first century, artwork remains a cornerstone with each newly released single or album. What is conjured up in your mind when you look at this particular album cover? Uh, I love this question because it was a question that I didn't really think about too much until, you know, we started kind of talking about some things for this podcast. Um, and, you know, when I look at that picture. It just makes me feel like life in the city, man. Like the, the big window, the, the sun coming in. I, I can almost hear the traffic in the background. And it really dawned on me that like since, you know, we had gone to college together in Scranton when I got out of high school. I always lived within like a two block radius of a main street. And I still do today here in Philadelphia. So for 20 years, this has been my life, like living real close to like foot traffic where I don't need a car and I can kind of like live off the main drag, you know, and some ways I got a grocery store, I got a coffee shop, I got my local pub, all the good things I need. And, um, you know, it just kind of like felt like that. And then it's got these high ceilings, high windows that just remind me so much of living in an apartment, like right on, right on the main drag. Um, at the same time, it, it kind of made me feel like when you're like a bit distant too, like you're so connected to all these people, but then you go back to your apartment and sometimes maybe you feel like you're still on your own, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you're, you're, you're making music about your house, in your house by yourself or you're just kind of like, you know, out of it, even though you're still in the middle of it. Um, and, you know, that's a lot about this record. It's called Lost in the Dream, right? And um, which is very direct, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of what what Adam was going through maybe when he wrote it. Um but just like, you, you know, you're, 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 once you're in your house, you're kind of like walled off from that, that city life. You're in your own personal domain. 
however small it is. Cause you know, if you're living in the city, it's good. You're going to have smaller quarters, you know, for the most part. Um, and so like, I don't know, just kind of, just kind of that, that, that feeling. And I do remember reading that he didn't leave the apartment for a while and the band was really worried about him. Cause he just, it had turned into this like rehearsal space where it wasn't even like a house. It was just like a, a weird hodgepodge studio. And you're just like trying to get like this one sound right. And the, the band probably couldn't even hear the difference maybe between this version and that version. Like, I don't know. I, that kind of resonated with me, I guess, about feeling the, the feeling of being hyper connected, but then also maybe just I, I, that is such a perfect description of I'm, I'm, you know, studying the album cover right now, and even just you know the the way the font appears, you know, of the title of the record, it is you know almost like disappearing into some sort of fog where you know you know presumably on the front cover is Adam or maybe it is somebody else, but that character on the album cover is just allowing some light and some connection to pour through you know if it's if it this happens to be you know his apartment or if this happens to be you know the studio itself if the studio has you know some sort of available light you know into the place um but i find that just to be a very interesting sort of contradiction in some ways you know it sounds like there's this pervasive theme of trying to get out of some sort of emotional wreckage, but still wanting to feel that interconnectedness. Yeah. And, and it, the sun's shining through nice, on the curtains nice on the album cover. So it's like, right, Hey, it's a nice right. day out, you know, don't you want to go outside? Keith, it, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you today and, and catch up and, and uh, talk about the war on drugs. Thank you so very much for coming on the program and uh, sharing this music that, that resonates with you in such a deeply profound way. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super flattered about it to be invited. All right. Thanks so much to Keith Fitzgerald for being on with us today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podchaser, Spotify, or TuneIn. Take a moment to tell a friend or family about our show. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.